Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Obviously, we're at the beginning of something. I don't expect you to know where it's gonna go. But I believe we might be on to something. I actually think that could be the theme song, the regular theme song for the introductory theme song for Ask or Tell Me Anything. Remember, those of you who are senior members of our listening corps, you may recall that uh, in the early days we had a theme song. It was uh, William Shatner and Henry Rollins, and it was called I Can't, I Can't Get Behind That, which I think Ben Folds had produced. But this is... It, this has sort of got, I think, the sense of Ask or Tell Me Anything. So, very quickly, to review our rules. We have no rules. The only rule is you have to call 888-720-WNPR. 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. You must identify yourself to the person who answers the phone. You must give uh, the secret code signal. We don't actually have one. And then, you know, presumably you will get on the air the way Bill from East Haddam is about to. Before Bill from East Haddam gets on the air, I just – I have a question. <laughs> it's a sad little question. So let me just – I'll do this as fast as I can because I don't want to keep Bill waiting. And I know other people will be calling up. But so, you know, it is sort of true that one of the areas of life where we tend not to kind of update or upgrade is the area of the baseball cap, uh, any kind of, you know, baseball cap like cap. And so like I and so I tend to get I have I like to have baseball caps around for a variety of reasons and I, I do wear them because it's so much easier than actually brushing my hair. Uh, and I realize that I keep them too long and they get kind of nasty. And for example, I my second favorite baseball hat or my second most frequently used baseball hat, which I use when I can't find my big up brew baseball cap, which commemorates a coffee company here in Hartford, um, is um, a baseball hat from live from here, which <laughs> a Chris Thiele hosted program, which was canceled many years ago now. Uh, in other words, I, like I'm often walking around with a baseball hat. I was wearing the baseball hat uh, the, the, the Chris Thiele live from here baseball hat the day we went to interview Jimmy Webb in Long Island. And that was a long time ago. And I remember that because there was we had to get a tire fixed on Bitsy Kaplan's car and there was a guy who remarked upon my hat. Anyway, 
Long story. The short story is I decided I'm just going to – like the other thing about baseball heists is they kind of come to you, right? Like I picked up the uh, that baseball the, – the live from here baseball hat at a radio conference. Chris Thiele just, you know, left it lying around. I thought he doesn't need that hat and I took it. No, it was there. But I got it. It was like, you know, the giveaway. It's swag. Swag is – there's a lot of giveaways. You rarely buy a baseball hat. At least I rarely buy a baseball hat. But I was sort of realizing that my baseball hats are all kind of dirty and nasty. And so I thought, I'll buy a baseball hat. I'll buy a different kind of baseball hat. It'll have no markings on it whatsoever, not, not so much as one letter. And then I was sort of looking at the possibilities. And I thought, what if I bought an all-white baseball hat? I'm holding it up right now so that you can see it. I'll hold it up close to the microphone. It's because I got it today. And then I got it, and I took it out of the box, and I said to myself – I wonder if it means something <laughs> to wear an all-white baseball. Like I suddenly got worried that there was some kind of iconography that I didn't know anything about. Like if you wear a white baseball hat, I don't know. You're a Robert F. Kennedy Jr. voter or something really horrible and nasty and scabrous like that. Or maybe maybe it indicates my support for something that I'm really, you know, not really ready to support at the level that I would be indicating that I was. Even if it was a good thing, you know. <laughs> Like, what if it's women's suffrage in, you know, I don't know, some country that I couldn't even find on a map or something? So anyway, I, I would just like to know if anybody knows, like, why aren't wearing a plain white baseball cap? If I'm just wearing that walking around my neighborhood, it, am I declaring anything? <laughs> am I declaring anything in particular about myself? Because I – obviously – the less that's known about me, the better, obviously. But anyway, all right. Now, once again, we are going to have Ask or Tell Me Anything uh, day here. I have two uh, Mr. Carp envelopes if things go slowly. Or you could just call up. You could call 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. And you could, you could say, open that Mr. Carp envelope immediately. I need to know what's in it. And that would be a fair thing for you to do. But Bill from East Haddam has other things on his mind. And Bill, you have the floor. John. I for years thought you were John McEnroe, and when you would come on, I would turn you off because uh, I thought it was John McEnroe, and he drives me crazy. No, John McEnroe hosts a classical music program on Sunday nights on public radio. We get people get us confused all the time because of the public radio connection. But I'm I, I, but I have to apologize. We're about the same age. Um, I I was a a student of Andy Tebow, who I think you know, the editor. Um, uh, and, and we're about the same age. I was born in, in 54, 55. Um, you were born in two and, possible years? That's, that's uh, unusual. Were you like sort of started to be born around 1159? Like well, on no, I was born December 30th? I wasn't sure if you were born 54 oh, okay. or 55. You just or, weren't sure. Because you said you were born 1954, 1955. I thought maybe it just was a very long delivery. <laughs>
and that happens to be who I'm descended from, and and participated in in a lot of the research on. Okay, that story. wait a minute. Are, are you descended from Mark Chagall or from Hiram uh, Bingham? From from uh, from Bingham. All right. I was wondering because uh, that had anything to do with your protracted birth too, that you were descended from a, <laughs> from, a from a French uh, artist no, and also. I I I my I was only born in one year, and I just feel like that's such a pedestrian thing compared to you that I don't I feel embarrassed even bringing that up. So Hiram Bingham, for people who don't don't know, was at one point governor of Connecticut. He was also an explorer, and I believe he's. I mean, Diane Orson would be the person to know about this, but I believe he was the one who brought back all the stuff from Machu Picchu. Right, <laughs> we, right, and then the family gave it gave it back, but it was his. You know, they kept it along. I think I think didn't Yale have to give it back? I thought uh, Yale gave it back, and the and the family supported it. Yeah, yeah that's. But that's, it's like that's no, but they they, they they took their diplomat in Marseille, France. Who oh, okay. So it was his son. Okay. Uh, all of the about yeah. five thousand um, uh, Jews and other prominent uh, intellectuals were rescued, and there's a series uh, called uh, Transatlantic that's that's been on Netflix. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I'd recommend it, and also a book by uh, Leon Feuchtwanger, the German author who hung around with Thomas Mann and all those guys. Um, just as uh, a new edition of that that just came out. All right, so uh, let me just stop you. Yeah, you have a little tendency to just like run a lot of things together, so we need to pause. Uh, yeah. So first of all, uh, we should say that the series that you're talking about, Transatlantic, is based on a completely different book. It's based on a book by a novel by Julie Oranger, who also wrote the amazing novel, The Invisible Bridge. Um, and yes, right. so this is, that is separate. I just like to go back to, I think you're kind of, and I understand it might be a sensitive family thing, comes up at Thanksgiving, you know, but I would just like to say that Yale and the Bingham family, they took their freaking time about <laughs> I mean, you make it sound like, oh, yeah, we give them back. You know, we you give them back decades and decades and decades later. It took an incredibly long If you borrowed my white baseball hat for, for that long, I'd be dead by the time I got it back because of what year I was born in. Anyway, that's all. I just wanted to, I just didn't want people to think, oh, yeah, well, they took them, but they brought them right back. It wasn't like No, that. no. My, uh, Hiram Bingham, the, the explorer, was, was notorious. Uh, doing things in bad faith, I think. He was the uh, chairman of the Loyalty Review Committee. He was censured by the Senate. He was, uh, he was not a, not a nice, nice guy, but, uh. Also, you know, Marty Bingham, uh, borrowed my roof rake, and, uh, you think you take snow, and he didn't bring that back either. I've yet to see that. I mean, it doesn't snow anymore anyway, so it doesn't matter, but, um, well, listen, this is all terrific stuff, Bill, and, and I, I do, I haven't watched Transatlantic, but you make it sound like I probably should. It really is about a pretty amazing story, and there are a lot of historical figures, like Mark Chagall, who are depicted there. Um, and I don't know how big a role Hiram Bingham actually has in this, but, um, or which Hiram Bingham. Anyway, uh, thanks very much for your call, Bill. That was great. Uh, and I think it sets the stage for lots of other exciting calls. Our number, 860-275. No, that's not right. <laughs> yes, it is. Eight, no, it's 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. I have a lot of public radio phone numbers kind of bouncing around in my head these days. So a um, couple of other things that I was going to mention here. I have to remember what they are and where I wrote them down. Oh, I, has this been covered a lot? Because um, I, I was unaware of it until quite recently, that the governor, governor of Florida, who I believe is named Ralph DeSantis, so uh, Ralphie D, 
So uh, Ralph DeSantis has said that he will Florida will not honor lace, uh, driver's licenses that were given out to unauthorized uh, immigrants, immigrants here without proper documentation or whatever, whatever we're going to, however we're going to term them. Uh, And this really affects, there are five states that make it possible for unauthorized immigrants to have driver's license. They are Delaware, Hawaii, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Connecticut. And it's kind of an interesting question too, because supposedly... You know, I mean, I think under the Constitution and various other kinds of legal precedent, states are supposed to honor the laws of of each other. And so, like, if we, you know, I mean, a, a driver's license that va- that is valid in Connecticut, issued by the state of Connecticut, should typically be <laughs> valid in Florida. So, I don't know. I just, I'm kind of interested in the even the legal dynamics of this and, and also how we should feel about this man, Ralph DeSantis, who is who is doing such a thing, who is saying a certain Connecticut driver's licenses. So like if you show your license to a, let's say you get pulled over, say you get pulled over in Sarasota, which I think is the name of a Hold Steady song, um, and you get pulled over in Sarasota and you take out your license, the Connecticut license. Do you then have to have a conversation with a cop about like whether you're here, you know, appropriately? <laughs> I mean, how do you establish that? Because it's like not on the license or anything, is it? Anyway, okay, that's one of the things I wanted to bring up. Oh, and this is my favorite thing. Uh, And then we'll take a little break uh, and we'll take some time to get some phone calls here. Once again, the numbers are 888-720-WNPR. That's 888-720-9677. You can call up about any topic you want. I would sort of say maybe we've, we've... Hiram Bingham feels pretty talked at at this point, but anything else, let's say. Or Hiram Bingham, if you've got, if you've got a brand new take, uh, you can call up about Hiram Bingham. So <clears throat> let's see if I can explain this. So you may have noticed that on Monday we did a, um, our fifth show about UFOs uh, with Leslie Kane, a journalist who's been writing. No, they're, kind of, they're called UAPs. They've been rebranded. But the things that used to be UFOs, UAPs, and, and – <clears throat> I've been thinking about it ever since because Leslie Kane, who's a you know pretty well-known journalist now and started out as, I think, a journalist who was regarded pretty as pretty fringy, and then all these government records came out and it became clear there was a lot more going on, you know, in, in the in the corridors of Washington D.C. about all this stuff than we had, you know, previously been allowed to know, and so you know the latest thing is that this guy uh, whose name is David Grush. You know, with very high security clearances, and who's uh, you know played very important roles uh, in within the American security apparatus at agencies like the geospatial something <laughs> things I've never heard of, but I could tell they're important anyway. He has come forward with this, you know, to say that as a whistleblower, he's claimed whistleblower status, and he's saying that you know there are recovered wreckages. Uh, of of UAPs and maybe even dead pilots, dead pilots who are not of terrestrial origin, and and other confirmations have been made. Suggest and, and, and but the interesting thing about Lizzie Kane's reporting is she's got this guy, but she also has a bunch of other people who are identified by name, you know, and and by their previous ranks or whatever, uh, who confirm this story and say it's true and all that kind of stuff. Um, just as she did, you know, before. I mean, with the, a few years ago, it was the Navy pilots who were seeing these things, and you know, they they came forward by name. Um, and I think we might have <laughs> we might have created a new standard here because, for example, the uh, 
one of the fans of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., with whom I am in, it feels like hourly contact as these Robert F. Kennedy Jr. people try to make him more palatable to the rest of us, uh, came forward and, and sent me to a Substack uh, that's um, called Public, where there's a report saying that this n- the notion advanced by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. at that uh, press dinner that he was having that seemed to consist mainly of older, drunk, and very apparently loudly flatulent journalists. Um, you know, the, the theory that he was advancing is that there has been uh, a lot of work on adapting viruses as um, ethnically targeted bioweapons. But so I looked at this piece uh, and the, the two people they quote are, quote, a person in the U.S. intelligence community told public, we are deeply concerned about China's potential ability to generate ethnically targeted products. And there are other countries with similar capabilities, such as Russia and Iran. And then here's their other source. Another senior investigator within the U.S. government told public, when discussing bioweapons, ethnic targeting is absolutely a goal that the Chinese government has declared. And I feel like, I feel, maybe it's just my own prejudice about Robert F. Kennedy Jr., but... Uh, I feel like a possible rebuke these days to reports like this is your article is not as immaculately sourced as the articles <laughs> about dead alien pilots of wrecked spacecraft recovered by the U.S. government. All right. They those articles have names and dates and people and people going on the record and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like government officials with high security clearances uh, are, or ex-government officials with high security clearances are going on the record by name. If you, if you can't rise to the level of the reportage about <laughs> dead aliens at the wheel, if they have wheels, of crashed UAPs, I, you know, go back and get somebody on the record. <laughs> go back and get somebody to actually put their name on this claim that you're making. All right, we're going to take a little break here. A lot of calls coming in, and uh, we will. Oh, we got Chris, we got Luke, we got Suzanne, we got Ed. It seems so exciting. Uh, more to come. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Take a deep breath, drink water. You know that these streets just love. Calm down. Take a deep breath, drink water. You know that these streets just love. Where you at? Right now. Where you at? Right now. Louisiana down south. I'll be there with the cleats. I'll be there with the squeaks. If you stop, if you stop, if you stop, set true. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Healthcare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford Healthcare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. 
17 months or 750,000 minutes, give or take a few. Well, I like all of these calls that we have, all four of the calls that are ready to go. And there'll be more calls to come on 888-720-WNPR. It's Ask or Tell Me Anything. There are no guests on the show today. There's barely a host on the show. Uh, 888-720-9677. I'm Colin McEnroe, barely your host. Uh, And we are going to start out, uh, if you're just tuning in at the beginning, I mentioned that I had bought an unlabeled, uh, uninsigniated, is that how you would say it? white baseball cap uh, just to walk around in. Uh, And then I became concerned that it might mean something. (laughs) I might be declaring some sort of allegiance that I'm unaware of. So here's Suzanne from Mystic to uh, straighten things out here. Hi, Suzanne. (laughs) Hello. How are you, Colin? I'm just fine. No worse than can be expected. Good. Good. So, yeah, I have a white. Okay, wait. Let me tell you this first that um, you gave my commencement address at King's Oxford. Oh, my goodness. In 1987. And look how you've turned out. I take full credit. Oh, right. <laughs> I think so, I, I pointed um, you on the right path that day. And, yes, and you did. We all sang, uh, so we, we all sang We Will Never Pass This Way Again by Seals and Crofts. We joined hands. Uh, oh. And the music rang across the, the green there. It, it was all that and more. All right. So white, base, white baseball caps. Give it okay, to me straight. So, Give yeah, me the moving on. Yeah. I um I acquired a white baseball cap in when I was at Syracuse University, and I don't know how I acquired it, but it was a nice white cotton baseball cap, and I loved it. It was very coveted by all my friends mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and um. It finally ended up in the hands of of one of the only bald men at Syracuse in that year. Jim Jim Beheim. Was Jim Beheim Jim Beheim stole it your was baseball not cap? Jim Beheim. Right. <laughs> no, just a student. Oh, okay. but yeah, so I I often wondered like, oh, what as a, as having that white baseball cap, I, I actually have it on my student ID from Syracuse. Yeah. And I was thought, geez, you know, does this mean something to somebody? I don't really know. So you're as you're as puzzled as I am, but it's a less pressing matter for you because you don't you no longer have one. I no longer have that coveted hat. You haven't had a great white baseball cap. I'm doing the math here for about thirty three years, actually. Yeah. yeah, it was my first and only one, and it was stolen by a friend. All right, so we have to find out what happened to your friend. Um, and I feel like a white baseball cap on a bald white guy. It just it's, it feels like gilding, gilding the cue ball, gilding, gilding something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. You're at Syracuse. You're bald. You're white. Get an orange baseball cap. That's the school color. All right. Anyway, we have to move on here. Um, here's Chris from Basra. Hi, Chris. Uh, you have the floor. Hello, Colin. Hey, uh, growing up. Well, in the early 70s, mid-70s, there were gypsy moths all over the trees. There were cocoons, 
the trees were just covered in them. And you rarely see a gypsy moth these days. I wonder if it was spraying. I don't really, I'm sure I could Google it and find out, but I'd rather call you. It's a really interesting question. First of all, I don't think we're supposed to call them gypsy moths anymore. We have to start there. Um, I believe they're called spongy moths. Spongy moth. Really? Yeah, spongy moth. Well, I mean, the term gypsy is obviously uh, out of favor. Um, and <laughs> um, and it's just another reason to avoid Stevie Nicks, I think. But also, so yes, the, the spongy moth has been uh, formally adopted as the new common name for the moth species. And I think you were about yeah. to weigh in with this, Chris. It's Lamantria dispar. Uh, and the Entomological Society of, Kinetic, of America has uh, uh, picked the new name from a translation of a French name based on the destructive force pests sponge-like egg masses, which is, by the yeah. way, that, the, if, that is the worst breakfast special at the diner I go to, <laughs> is the sponge-like egg <laughs> mass. Almost nobody ever orders that. Um, even with the extra home fries, it just nothing really makes it work. So I don't, I don't know the answer to the, your question. I mean, I can one thing I can say, I can pretty well guarantee, nobody's complaining that there aren't enough gy- gypsy moths. Uh, no, nobody's saying, just where the heck are they? Um, if we had yeah, more time, I would. Uh, if we had more time, I would tell the Norm Macdonald moth joke. But instead, what I'll do because. <laughs> It takes Norm. It took Norm Macdonald like seven minutes to tell this joke. So, if it, anybody would like to hear Norm Macdonald tell a uh, seven-minute, it might not be quite that long, uh, joke about uh, moths, just Google. I think sort of Norm Macdonald Conan O'Brien moth joke, uh, and because uh, I, I just you know I, I couldn't do it justice under the time constraints we have. My guess is that they're probably. I, I doubt it's spraying, but it could be because we're spraying less. I mean, you know. My tree guy, Bruce Graver, the tree saver, says that, you know, the number of things they're allowed to use has gone way, way down. So, but it might be, you know, a different uh, kind of a recalibration of the balance of power in the ecosystem that something that eats gypsy moths is doing a little bit better than it used to be. But that's that's just me being, I, that, you know, that has sort of Cliff the mailman on cheers kind of, you know, that's the level of credibility that the observation I just made has. It's like, you know, the guy at the end of the bar, ah, I think it's probably, you know, something else in the ecosystem that, you know, it's probably it's the gypsy moth. So I don't know, but somebody might call in, Chris, and tell us, and the number is 888-720-WNPR. The question is, whatever happened to gypsy moths or, oh, sorry, whatever happened to spongy moths who used to be called gypsy moths? But that's not the question we're asking. We're not asking, you know, what happened to the name. We know what happened to the name. Uh, I guess you could call them Roma moths, but I think the whole idea is that you don't, you know, associate them with moths in any way. Um, you know, there's so many songs with gypsies in, in them, though, and I, you know, I understand it's a. We did a whole show about the Roma people. I understand why it's a degraded term, but what are you going to do with gypsy lover and stuff like that? All right. Anyway, let's see. Where are we? Well, I just mentioned music, so we'll go to Ed next. I'm trying to be fair but gentle too. Uh, here's uh, Ed from Middletown. Hi, Ed. Hi, Colin. I called a couple of years ago on one of these shows after I spent a night seeing a Connecticut band called Split Coils and was just blown away by how good they were, how how inventive, and how much they kind of inspired me as, a, as an older person. Last night, I went to see uh, Big Thief, who are a band you may or may not know, um, but it had the same power. I, I was up at Look Park, and there were 3,000 kids there. I was easily one of the three oldest people there, <laughs> but they are so energetic and so inventive and 
so wonderful and the, and all the young people were, were just enjoying it but i enjoyed it a lot too and it just had this uh, rejuvenating power and i was so happy to see rock music still still can do it yeah i think there is something very transforming about that live concert that speaks so you know so powerfully to you or any kind of music any you know dave from lake como is threatening to call up about Mahler's ninth today we could say the same thing about that <laughs> well, under the yeah. right circumstances and and I think what what you're seeing with um, the young people who are going to see Taylor Swift is the same kind of thing. You know, she's filling stadiums and they're standing in three hours of rain to hear this music, and uh, it's just it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, except that I think the young people are having a hard time getting tickets because so many old people want to go see Taylor Swift too, uh, well, and they have better better charge cards. Um, all right, well, listen, <laughs> thanks for your call. It's always great to talk to you. Uh, and what, where are we in time and stuff like that? And, and where am I? Oh, no, we're great here. We're fine. So let's go to Luke in Brantford. Hi, Luke. Hello. Uh, I'm going to have to preface this by saying that it only pertains to other colored hats. Okay. And uh, in a related manner, uh, I, I am a person who identifies as non-binary. That puts me underneath the transgender, uh, I guess, spectrum. And my question is, uh, is it only recently or has there been a trend for politics, particularly politics on the right, to just find someone and then beat them mercilessly? Like, you, you can probably fill in the blanks about what I'm asking about. Yeah, I think I, I can, but let's hang with me while I try. Um, so... Um, First of all, I think one thing that we have to acknowledge, I mean, this is going to be a sort of both things are true answer, which is a very unsatisfactory kind of answer. We have to acknowledge that politics, politics in America in particular, has always been heated and cruel, uh, and it's tended to be cruel and tended to exploit and exacerbate uh, suspicions and hostilities towards whatever the kind of capital O other groups were at that moment. So the kind of rhetoric directed, say, circa 1900 at Irish and Italian uh, immigrants, you know, isn't all that different from the kind of hateful rhetoric that, uh, that, that's directed now at, at, as you're suggesting, maybe non-binary people or people from Mexico and, uh, and, and Belize who are here without their papers. Or I mean, there's always a target. Uh, and the reason that demagogue is such an old word is that there are always people around who want to exploit the anger and, and the – I mean, you know, I lived through – I worked for uh, what it was 16 years at a station, a commercial station before I came here where for 16 years my show either preceded Rush Limbaugh or came on right after Rush Limbaugh. And I can tell you that for those 16 years, Rush Limbaugh was as mean and horrible as pretty much anybody anybody who's being mean and horrible today. But I – so that's – the historical context is to some degree it was ever thus. Politics is not only a very dirty business, but it's a business that runs – basically on two currents. One of them is hope and the other one is fear. If you can't give people hope, then make them afraid of somebody. Make them afraid of drag queens in your third grade classroom. Um, so, and it just, that, that's the wiring and it doesn't change that much. On the other hand, I would agree that there's sort of micro-targeting going on right now that, that doesn't even really seem to make any sense. I mean, it seems to me that the message of the Republican Party right now is that transgender people are the new Mexicans. All the things that we were trying to make you afraid of about uh, people crossing the, the, the American border in the South, uh, say, two, one, two, and three cycles ago, we are now going to do about, uh, about transgender persons, about drag queens. I just don't even understand, like, how they think 
that that is going to generate a lot of electoral activity. I mean, I just don't think people people go out to the polls, you know, either because they want to further entrench or enshrine somebody who's doing a good job and making their lives better or to get rid of somebody because they think their lives aren't really great right now. And those that tends to be because of kitchen table issues, as they're called. You know, can I pay the light bill? Can I pay my rent? Can I, you know, is, can I buy gas for my car? Um, you know, stuff like that. It's the things that sort of and, – and, and then there, there's another separate sphere of expectations for government. Can the government keep my water clean? Can they keep my air clean? You know, can they make me feel relatively safe in my environment? But, I mean, the idea that people are going to go out because they've really got to do something about Drag Queen Day at the public library, I, I just – I don't even understand why they – usually demagogues think – you know, they have a plausible rationale for exciting the passions of their followers against a certain group. But, you know, Luke, I don't even really see how that's going to work. Well, Not that I want to. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. You know, go ahead. Uh, I think that part of this is – an attempt to capture something that happened in United Kingdom politics. Uh, for a long while, the Liberal Party that there uh, was beset by this question every time that they were on television, what is a woman? And they saw how well of a wedge issue it was there, and they're trying to bring that here. Yeah, I mean, um, I you know, I, that, that it could be that. And certainly they do – I'm, I'm going to let you go partly because your phone's just a little bit muddy and I'm, I couldn't fully understand everything you're saying. But um, I, I, uh, I mean obviously parties are always looking for wedge issues. I, I don't see how this one is – I mean first of all, it strikes me as a pretty scummy thing to be doing. But, but setting that aside for a second, setting its, its intrinsic scumminess aside, um, I, I also don't see how it would work. How it would be an effective thing to do? I mean, pe- people, the the vast, you know, the vast ruck of humanity here in the United States, they have problems bigger than drag queens and transgender people. Very rarely in their lives are those, you know, pressing issues. Uh, and, the, and ultimately, they really shouldn't be pressing issues. So anyway, um, so we have a colleague calling. A, a colleague. This doesn't happen very often. Usually, most of the people in the building turn the radio off when this show comes on. Uh, but in fact, Jenny Aarons is calling in with a spongy moth uh, answer. And we almost never have answers on this show, only questions. So hi, Jenny. Hi. Um, am I on? Do I, I've never done this before. So I know. It's very strange for me. I've never hosted before, um, so I can't even tell whether you're on or not either. Let's just assume, <laughs> let's assume you're on the air, and then we'll work backwards okay. from there. Um, so I was just out um, at a, a, in northeast Connecticut talking to some foresters a few weeks ago state foresters and um they were telling me the reasons why we didn't have an outbreak of uh spongy moth caterpillars this year was because two processes likely they don't really know but they theorize that two processes kicked in uh one there's a um a fungus that biologists brought over from asia to help fight the the spongy moth back i think in the 80s and that requires a wet may to activate the fungus and the fungus attacks naturally attacks the caterpillars as their natural enemy. And we had enough, wet enough May that last year it laid the groundwork so that they weren't um, they weren't able to have a large population this season. Um, in fact, I talked I don't know if I, I talked to a forester last fall. They were going around. They were doing surveys. They saw fewer nests 
than they norm than they did the year before, which is always a good sign. And then also they think there is a virus. Don't ask me the name for it. I can't even begin to say it. There's a virus where if the population gets too big, just like if a city gets overpopulated, diseases spread. And there's a virus if the population gets too large, the virus starts attacking the uh, caterpillars and kills them. Um, so they actually, you know, basically nature checking itself. Many of you, I'm going to have this virus is going to take care of you. So they theorize that the two things that can actually combat this invasive species kicked in and did their job. So that's why we had fewer uh, spongy moth caterpillars. That is, a, first of all, a great answer. Uh, and uh, thank you for the thoroughness of it. I believe it's not only a great answer to the question. I believe it's the plot for season two of The Last of Us on Max. Uh, <laughs> is the fungus that was brought over to get the spongy moths becomes sentient and turns us into zombies. Uh, yeah. But, you know, oh, I mean. You, I, I always love the story. Do you know why we have the spongy moth caterpillar in the North America? Uh, I bet you do. I bet anything you do. <laughs> Some guy, I believe it was the 1800s, wanted to make a silk industry in New England. And so he's like, hey, let me bring over these caterpillars, see if I can make some silk. And they got out. So, so it's, it's only fair them. that we bring the, the death fungus over then. It's only, you know, it's, yeah. it's not as though we started it. He started it uh, with his damn silk factory. All right. That was some outstanding reporting. Oh. I'm putting you up for any number of awards. Of hears me and wants to correct me, by all means, please do. I was an English major. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm putting you up for way. any number of radio awards. Um, okay. <laughs> all right. And, and a bonus. I'll be talking to Mr. Contreras later today about your bonus, um, <laughs> as well as my bonus, of course. Um, all right. So I'm trying to decide what to do. I'm not ready for Lake Como Day. That seems clear enough. Uh, I guess I could take Mark and then we'll go to a break, and then we'll come back with Lake Como Dave. I think that seems fair. And uh, there are lines open right now. So 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. The code word to get on the air is spongy. Just to, uh, refer to yourself as spongy, uh, and you'll be uh, placed at the head of the line. Here's Mark from Naugatuck. Hi, Mark. Hey, Colin. I was just curious what your thoughts are about the – Biden campaign's recent repurposing of Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments about his uh, legislative accomplishments or what she would characterize as his failures and how that's kind of like uh, evidence of, of, of why Republicans rely on wedge issues rather than the issues that uh, that, that actually affect uh, most Americans. Right. So, first of all, for people who haven't seen, that, seen it, and I've only just watched it through once, and I have a lot of questions about it, but it's it's using the words and voice and at times the image uh, of Marjorie Taylor Greene to talk about a lot of things that Joe Biden has done, which presumably she regards as bad stuff, but it's all it's all kind of good stuff. I mean, I'd like to know how much this was edited um, because it really is kind of if it if it's even just one or two statements stitched together, it's still pretty remarkable. I mean, she's basically saying all of the things about him that he would want to say about himself. And he comes on at the end and he says, I am, you know, I'm Joe Biden and I, I support this ad or whatever it is you're supposed to say. Uh, and um, but I would like to know how much editing was done. I mean, and, and nonetheless, I, 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 Colin, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, yeah. but I saw the original speech. And yeah. 
there there wasn't a lot of editing done. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. That is, a lot of it is yeah. just her verbatim. That yeah. is that is uh, that is a remar- remarkable thing, <laughs> because yeah, I mean right? that really it really kind of confirms what you know Luke and I were talking about, which is that you know first of all the kinds of issues that would really affect people. Uh, are in that ad, uh, and she's complaining about the fact that Biden is dealing with them effectively, and and I think she mentions that he's you know bringing out some of the uh, policies that were connected to the New Deal, which I, I, right. so obviously she would regard as you know as a horrible thing, but maybe not necessarily Americans who are needing relief at a certain time. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, if it, if it really is as you say, and it really required very little editing to put this together. First of all, whoever did it is a freaking genius because it's just the kind of thing, Seriously. you know, you make things these days not so you can pay a lot of money to put them on ABC in primetime. You make them so they'll circulate for free uh, as viral products all over the social medias. Uh, and that's what this thing is doing. This Starting this morning in particular, I think it was just like booming all over the place. So if you haven't seen it yet, you'll see it soon. I think Mark's point's a pretty good one. Let's take a break. We'll come back. There's so much more to say on Ask or Tell Me Anything, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Flipping a channel, surfing a noose, about to give this old boy the blues. Talking heads don't make no sense, nothing to do with the shape I'm in. Need a sing, need to dance, need to cut loose in a way I can. We are back. It is time to thank Kat Pastor. She's the technical producer of today's show. Jonathan McPants is in there screening calls and producing the show and all that stuff. Uh, and yes, it is Ask or Tell Me Anything. Uh, the number is 888-720-WNPR. I did say that Lake Como Dave from Lake Como, Ohio would be the next person up. Uh, and I think he should be then. Because even though there's a little misdirection going on here, uh, because you've changed Mahler symphonies since like an hour ago, but that's all right. Uh, I try to be flexible. You have the floor. Well, we were. I had no intention of calling today because I don't want to overdo it. But you kind of threw down the gauntlet on Facebook a little while ago about being esoteric and so forth, and I kind of joked, "Let's talk about the Mahler ninth. I don't think I'm capable of that, but if you give me ninety seconds, I'm going to try to make my best pitch for the Mahler six as the greatest symphony ever written. And then if I'm successful. I want a white baseball cap with friend of the program embossed on it. Does that sound okay? We don't have the money for that. Okay. Well, this, whatever. This show, we're, you know, I just want to see something about this. Ask or tell me anything. It's a very inexpensive show to do. Very inexpensive. But if we start giving away baseball caps to, you know, people with, you know, esoteric musical ideas, uh, just it's I, – I can't even predict what will happen. But anyway, continue. McPants told me there would be swag. Yeah, there's, there might be swag. But there's okay. a, but customized baseball caps are just beyond our reach right now. I I don't even have one. I have a plain white baseball cap. It has nothing on it. Anyway, continue. All right. So here we go. Sometimes people say to get into classical music, start you know with short pieces, start easy. I say no, go big. The greatest symphony, in my opinion. By the way, I'm egged on by comments on that Facebook thread from John Dankowski and David Edelstein. My pick for the greatest symphony ever. Written is the Sixth Symphony of Gustav Mahler. It's in four movements, like a lot of symphonies. It's the most heroic, the biggest, the most exciting. Um, it, the first movement has like a whole world in it. It's got 
monster brass. It's got a quiet central episode with these cowbells, which demolish uh, symbolize the highest mountain stretches in the Alps, above which you know there is no more civilization. It was the last thing you heard as you ascended into those regions. Was cowbell? Cowbell was the last thing you heard. Uh, Mahler heard. Yeah, well, yeah. That, that he would say that as you climb higher in the Alps, that's the last sound of civilization that you hear. So presumably you're going into regions of spiritual, you know, right. uh, mystery. So, so take there that two, blue oyster cult. Uh, you know, Mahler was ahead of you by a hundred years. Take give or take. And well, eighty years. Top. Yeah, absolutely. Two central movements. A very loud scherzo and the most beautiful slow movement ever written. There's actually scholars have a raging debate about which order they're supposed to be done in, which just kind of adds spice to that. Mahler is never totally clear about how we should blow it or we should play them. The last movement is absolute Armageddon, and it has the famous hammer blows, where somebody back in the rear of the orchestra in the percussion section has to come up with a massive wooden hammer and some sort of platform to pound it on, which absolutely makes the hair stand on the back of your neck because this is like the three blows of fate that land on the mythical hero of the symphony. Does the conductor does the conductor ever have to say it's hammer time? No. Just ask no, I don't ask you for a friend. The, the person with the, with the hammer in their hand in the back of the orchestra is just waiting for that moment, right. trust me. Please, hammer, and don't hurt him. It is the most exciting thing ever, and uh, I can't recommend enough watching the Leonard Bernstein Vienna Philharmonic on YouTube, the filmed performance as an entree. Isn't there, isn't there a controversy? I, we, I can't talk to you much longer because there's two more callers I'm trying to get in the air, but isn't there like a controversy about the second and third movements that maybe they're the third and second movements? Like, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, and I'm firmly in the scherzo second, slow movement third. I mean, how could that get mixed up? He was Mahler at that point. How could people know, go? We're not sure. He's like he was still alive. He died before he could hear the Ninth Symphony. He's one of these people yeah. who writes his Ninth Symphony and dies before it's ever actually performed. But it seems like the sixth, there was plenty of time to work this out. Which which movement goes first? And yet there's still confusion. And I kind of like that. I enjoy confusion. Thanks. That was Lake Como, Dave from Lake Como, Ohio. Uh, let's t- we'll go to uh, Nancy and then Linda. Hopefully, we can get to both of them. Uh, hi, Nancy. You have the floor. Hello. Um, I sense some ambiguity you had in a Facebook post concerning the series The Bear. Um, uh, we just discovered it and started watching it, and it's one of those shows where nobody has too many redeeming qualities and we love those kind of shows you know like succession and even Seinfeld like everybody's equally hateable I suppose but what what is it about the show that you are unsure about because I'm very unsure and I'm already in the second season right so uh, the the first season I was just anxious the entire time it's not that I said <laughs> that I'm I recognize the quality of the show and I would recommend it to just about anybody except somebody who's already taking nitroglycerin for a, nitroglycerin for a heart condition or something. I mean, to me, <laughs> the whole thing is just a huge commercial for Ativan, you know, just something to calm you down because there's just it's so, so intense. And, and I think I think part of it is too. And I might have mentioned this in the Facebook post. You know, why don't we get anxious? You know, with shows where people are getting shot all the time. You know, <laughs> you yeah. know, because that's 
pretty far from our normal experience. But the problems that these people are having, getting a restaurant off the ground, keeping it off the ground, dealing with, you know, city inspectors, dealing with mold problems, just dealing with, you know, borrowing money from Oliver Platt, never a good idea. I can tell you from personal experience, don't bother, borrow money from Oliver. Uh, and uh, he doesn't take Venmo. You can't pay him back. So, But, I mean, I just feel like that's recognizable. Like, I can get anxious vicariously about that because I, I, it just makes sense to me at, at a very quotidian well, level. I, I do want to say that one thing I'm picking up on is that uh, I said to my, my husband that these everybody's hurting in this show. Everybody right. has some real deep inner pain. And I think it's just starting to come out, especially Richie, who I can't really stand, but I have to watch him anyway. Right. Um, and they don't communicate with each other. So I, I think the gist so of it it's, maybe, it's just like real life. Everybody's in pain and nobody's communicating. No wonder it makes right. us nervous. It's too accurate. All right. I just I promised I would try to get everybody on. Thank you for calling, Nancy. You were wonderful. Linda from Naugatuck, this doesn't feel like something we can deal with in a, in a minute, but let's try. Um, hi, Colin. Hi. Hi. You had mentioned the before. You mentioned how you don't see how drag queens are going to become a major problem with um, the next election, and I totally agree. But I think it's part of their whole i the the rights whole idea that um, they they have this this simmering. Um, type of uh, thing that they're, they, they're saying about, like, telling people that their children are being indoctrinated, um, and it's starting in the schools. I, I had a friend of mine who was kind of ranting about how the crosswalk in front of her child's school was painted in rainbow colors, and they're, you know, trying to turn her children gay and right. this whole thing. I mean, Um, in general, these narratives are all the same. Uh, And and once again, just to back to what I said to Luke, it was ever thus. I mean, the world is going to end if uh, black people and white people use the same drinking fountains. You know, that was kind of the rhetoric of the 1950s. Uh, They can't be in school with us, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And it's like that every cycle. I mean, I I remember in the 90s bringing up the idea of gay marriage on, on the air on a, you know, pretty conservative talk station where I was the liberal host. People thought I was out of my freaking mind. And now we have gay marriage and it doesn't matter. It hasn't changed anything. It hasn't made the world worse. It's made the world better. And and it's just the old ways. And we have to wrap up here. But thank, thank you very much for listening. People are always, you know, the conservative argument is the old ways are going away. The new ways are worse. And that's not true. All right. Thanks for listening today. And we'll be back. We'll be back tomorrow with some kind of show. It's kind of a mystery right now. has been disconnected.